Robert Sarver is finally almost gone and the Suns are at it again. Jaw isn't afraid of anyone out west and the Bulls are in turmoil. I'm Sammy Neighbor. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have two other hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my man? Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, you. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> and a happy new year. John, how you doing? I love that intro. I'm doing great. Happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, happy Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. Let's get it. All right, let's do it. So to start us off on this episode, let's go into James Harden talking about his tenure with the Nets. Harden recently spoke to Fox Sports and asked if he's still the quitter after Durant also tried to leave the Nets this past summer. Harden said, and I quote, the whole two years was a low point. We've never really had to deal with something like that. I just feel like internally things weren't what I expected when I was trying to get it traded there. I think everyone knows that. People called me a quitter to summarize. And then the following summer, Durant wanted to leave. So it's like, am I still the quitter? So off of that, I'll ask you both. Was Harden right in the end to ask out after being there for basically one season? JJ, you tell me. Was he right that he called Durant that he a quitter? Out. That he asked out? I think he was right. All the signs were written on the wall. We saw that Kyrie wasn't playing and that played a huge part of it. I mean, you have Harden going out there playing night in, night out with a bad hamstring. And, you know, people are going to blame that the hamstring was his fault because he came into camp out of shape. Um, Durant had injuries, but you could say that that wasn't Durant's fault so yeah he had reason to leave and ask for a trade but was he right in calling Durant out John do you think that was okay for him to do like straight up like calling his boy like am I the quitter no how about the other superstar over there pretty crazy he did that definitely definitely throwing Durant under the bus and James Harden is driving the bus because I mean there's like you could just literally say that hey it wasn't a good situation I quit Mm -hmm. I don't have to name any names and I'll say this using Durant as an example isn't really the best to make your case strong it really to me is not the best uh, person to use KD isn't exactly the most I don't want to say loyal but he's also known to make these demands he's known to be unhappy in certain situations i mean he left the war the warriors one of the best situations probably from a basketball standpoint so i think james harden could have definitely made his case stronger by using a different example but i'll say this it is you know it does give credence in a sense because durant did want to leave granted like you said this whole kyrie situation actually made it was way worse after harden left right and i think that's a big part of it so I don't know. I, I just this is like 2022, and I know the NBA is different, but I'm just I don't I don't like it when guys do this, guys. I don't like Sammy. Do you agree? I just don't think when guys are so it's so easily. I mean, I'm we're, I'm old school. We back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, guys were not doing it like this. But this is the way I, the NBA, I guess. I get what you're saying, and I mean, with Harden in particular, the way he goes about wanting out is, I, I really dislike it, to be honest with you, because he did the same thing in Houston and in Brooklyn, where he didn't mm-hmm. just ask out, he obviously loafed, like he put in no effort during the games, he had a hamstring injury that lasted legitimately a year and a half, nice. b- between Houston to Brooklyn, 
Like he milked it so bad that I just thought it was such a poor look. So I, I'm with you on that. And I think the other thing I wanted to ask related to this is the way he worded it. I know you guys both brought up his name, but the way he worded this when he said it wasn't what he expected. Is he blaming the whole situation, just all the controversy that was there, or do you think that's a pretty direct shot at Kyrie specifically? What do you guys think? I think it's the whole organization, like total, like you have Durant and Kyrie saying, hey, sign DeAndre um, Jordan, or was it 9 million, 11 million? Let's go ahead and run this team the way that we want it with these two superstars without any backlash or uh, pushback and then you have the hiring of Steve Nash who's never had any head coaching experience trying to manage three big personalities like Harden came from Houston with you know their own structure there but that structure was surrounded around Harden so I'm sure that he wasn't used to this I'm not gonna say difficult situation i'm gonna say it was different for him you know mm -hmm. john what do you think i mean yeah i, I just uh, i don't know i'm kind of like i i don't want to roll my eyes but i kind of roll my eyes at the whole situation because it's, it's 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 funny to me i think that james harden he's been going from and i hate saying this because he was my mvp pick <laughs> Damn it! But he goes from, you know, he went from from obviously he started in Oklahoma City or yeah Oklahoma City, then he went to Houston, then he went to uh, the 70s or Brooklyn, and now he's with the 76ers. And I, I don't know, I just feel like guys of that stature shouldn't really change teams that much. And I think a lot of it is is because of him. I mean, his style of play, he's he's never gonna change. He never wants to adapt, and it's the same thing you see in Philadelphia where he. He handles the ball. He, I mean, he's gotten, I think he's gotten better over the past couple of years, but still, he's such a ball stopper. And you know, what's funny to me, I think overall, the picture is that winning actually changes so much in the NBA, in any sport, right? I mean, if the Nets beat the Bucks in the playoffs in 2021, or if they win the finals in that year, we probably, we don't have this conversation. I mean, that team might pro is probably going to still be together. And mm -hmm. it, it was because Kyrie got hurt. Giannis injured him intentionally. I'm kidding, Bucks fans. That was not intentional. <laughs> Harden was hurt during that series too, if you recall. Oh, oh he yeah. was. He you're came right. back you're early. Right. Actually, that same hamstring acted up again. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's ironic that Harden. Sorry, John. I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, you're good. You're good. Like Harden called Durant a quitter and pointed Durant out when Durant was the one that played the most games out of the. The three-star trio and he came into camp in shape while Kyrie and Harden didn't just saying that is true and <laughs> the last thing I'll ask about this then is obviously not even halfway through this year so we don't know what we're gonna get by the end of the year but the Nets obviously started this season in total turmoil Kyrie got suspended lo and behold now you've got a healthy and somewhat effective Ben Simmons playing this team has won, I believe it's 11 out of 12. So looking at where they were when they first formed this roster compared to where they are now, let's say that this trend continues, they finish two or three seed. What's the biggest change? Is it Steve Nash being gone? Is it a coaching change? 
Is it the fact that the three-star model maybe just doesn't work anymore, depending on the personalities? What do you guys think has made this team seem to find its way after what looked like a last, call it six to eight months of just total turmoil? Utah Watanabe. Watanabe and MVP. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like, I think that the Nets are just, I don't know. Ben Simmons is playing well. He, I saw the game the other night, and, and I think he's been more consistent. He's, he's not afraid to shoot the ball now. He's taking, you know, he's getting in the paint. He's driving. He doesn't look like he has the yips anymore. I mean, they're sharing the ball well. They're, they're, they're playing like a team, and I think that, and then they're playing defense too. I think that just, I don't know if it has anything to do with Steve Nash. Maybe it does. Maybe, it, I mean, Nash has never been a defensive-minded player. So maybe that, that transferred into being a coach. But I think they're, they're playing much better defensively. Uh, they're sharing the ball. And it shows. I mean, they're winning games. They're, what, seven games above 500, like you said? Eight. So if they continue, eight games above 500. So if they yep. if they make the, you know, I think it's they're, they're going to they're make the playoffs, right? Unless they have a monumental collapse which i don't think they'll they will hmm. i think they could be super dangerous in the playoffs i mean anytime you have the guys the caliber of kevin durant and Kyrie over i know we beat this horse dead again and again and again and then we run it over but i mean facts are facts guys right like at the end of the day on when you're playing a team and you see the other two guys on the other side of the court are kevin durant and Kyrie Irving, two of the best basketball players outside of the noise, outside of the drama, outside of the fake, you know, Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. They are still two of the best basketball players in the NBA. And so I would be afraid if I played them first round, second round, whatever it may be. So I I can give them a legitimate outside shot to make some serious noise in the playoffs. Like, JJ, I know you hate them. And I know <laughs> you hate them a lot. You have a, a true disdain for the Brooklyn Nets, but objectively, what are your thoughts on the team? I mean, like how they're playing, what their outlook is. Do you think they can make some serious noise? Because I do. Yeah, they have top over end talent, and you have Kevin Durant, arguably best best player in the league on some nights, right? Uh, going back to Sammy's question, which is, why are they winning? And John, you hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, they have two superstars, but what do we always say? What wins championships? You need a defensive player of the year candidate, MVP candidate, top five defensive team. And what's the other one that's kind of hard to measure? It's chemistry. And that goes back to surprise, surprise, Kyrie's playing ball. When Kyrie plays consistently, builds chemistry. And when you build chemistry, you win games. I agree. And I think, you know what, with, with Simmons, as maligned as he's been, I think they found the right role for him. He plays a little bit of backup five now. He starts, obviously, plays about 25, 26 minutes a game. Never shoots the ball more than six, seven times a game, but he's 60%. I mean, shots, shot type, I mean, be questioned all it wants to be. But they found a spot for him. He's playing good D. And it seems like this is actually the mix that maybe they envisioned when they made that Harden Simmons trade. So we'll see if it keeps up. I mean, the league is better with more good teams, so hopefully it does. But we'll move on from that to our next topic. Uh, so most of the basketball world probably knows about this by now. 
the Robert Sarver era is finally on its way out and all the fans of the Suns can rejoice. Matt Ishbia, who is the CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, is confirmed to have put in an offer of $4 billion to buy the Suns and the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, His brother is going to be involved in it as well, from what I've understood. So he played ball at Michigan State, was mostly a bench player, but obviously very familiar with basketball as a whole. And as has been talked about, Sarver, both for on-court decision-making involving all the sales of draft picks years ago, and all the talk about just what seems to be a toxic workplace culture was ready to go by all means. So this is a breath of fresh air for the league and for the Suns. So I have personal experience from this in terms of being a fan. When Sterling finally left the Clippers, it was like a breath of fresh air to me. What do you guys think is going to happen with the Suns from here Uh, in terms of just the culture? Do you think this will do anything in the immediate future for them in terms of their title aspirations? What does this team now look like as Matt Ishbia prepares to take over the team? Well, it's pretty hard to say just because with any new owner, we don't know how they're going to take the team. The first thought that I think everyone's going to say about the situation is how much worse can you get from Robert Sarver? Right? Like people always think like you want some someone to leave, someone to get fired, just like any workplace, that one employee, that one boss. But you never think who could possibly replace them and can they be that much worse so for me i don't think you could get any worse than robert sarver and there's only one way to go and that's up that's what i'll say so i'm going to reserve judgment john what do you think though like you think this is a good thing bad thing or too early to tell which is obvious but what are you leaning more towards to you know i hate saying this i mean I, I don't want to diminish or minimize the severity of what Robert Sarver did or do, does or, you know, the, the, the things that he was accused of. But did anybody here think that the Suns were going to be 19 and 13? And I'm talking purely from a basketball standpoint here. We all, I think weeks ago, months ago, right? I was one of them. I don't know if you guys thought the same way, but I thought the Suns were going to be have a monumental collapse disaster of a season mainly because of what was happening with Robert Sarver and also DeAndre Ayton drama, but they surprised me and they are 19 and 13, six games above 500. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's good because you don't, you, know, you don't want leadership or ownership to kind of have that stain on there. And I think it was already trending in this direction. They were just trying to find an owner. I mean, all the news and all the reports kind of indicated that this is where it was going. So now that we have an actual name in Ishbia, I hope I'm saying that right, I mean, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference from a basketball standpoint. But again, it's something that needed to be. It's like a like a stain, right, on your resume or a stain on on like on your shirt. You kind of you have to get rid of it at some point. You have to clean it. And I think that's in my in my eyes, this is what this was. But I don't think it's going to be like a make or break thing from them from this from the basketball standpoint. And I th- I think they were already doing well this season. I think they're just going to continue to do well because they still have. A deep and talented team and they had still have a really good coach so that's my those are my thoughts gotcha and you know what i am curious about i, I just looked at this so his net worth is listed at 5.1 billion obviously a huge number um 
Most of the time, from what I've seen, when a new owner comes into any major sport, purchases a team at the numbers that we're throwing around here, it's not as simple as just paying for it outright. It's usually some sort of money deals done with the league, unless they have an ex like excessive amount of wealth. Think the Bomber outright wrote a check for the Clippers. That tended to be the exception and not the rule. So why I bring that up is for comparison, what I'm always curious about when we see a new owner is one, are they going to keep management in place or are they going to want to bring in their own people? And then two, what kind of resources are they going to provide? Are they going to add to the scouting department? Are they going to add technology for training staff, things of that nature? So I'd like to see, is he going to try to do all of those things or is this purely going to be, let's try to change the culture from how they looked as and what we heard coming out. Is he also going to try to buy draft picks? Because those are always up for sale around the draft, particularly in the second round. How about is he willing to go into the luxury tax, which was the main that's, criticism that's, of that's, that's a huge one. So if yeah. he's willing to go into luxury tax, then all of a sudden that changes the game for this team because then they could trade off expiring deals and bring in that additional talent. Like, for example, Jay Crowder has been on the trade block for months. If they're willing to go into the luxury tax, all of a sudden they piece his contract with another one. And I mean, Durant's obviously happy right now. That's not going to come back up. But who knows if they revisit the next disgruntled star? Like we're going to talk about a couple guys later. So extend Chris Paul another five years. I, I, um, my, my question for you guys is like, <laughs> do you, how much, how much pull do you actually think? Because you know we always hear reports of like Genie Bus and and they're the ones who are pulling the strings. But I feel like. They're the owners. They write. They, I mean, they ultimately they write the checks, right? But do they? Do you think they really have the final say? Maybe I'm just I'm skeptical about that. Maybe I think that they the reason why they hire the general managers and they hire the, the is because they want them to make all the decisions. Obviously, they can sign off, but I don't think I don't know. Maybe that's. I just think me. it depends on the franchise. To tell you the truth, I think I personally am a fan of the owner that puts people in place that he, that he or she thinks will succeed and doesn't meddle too much. Sarver sounded like he got a, he got a little involved here and there. Um, to cross sports, uh, Jim Irsay and Jerry Jones in the NFL are mm -hmm. both very well known to be overly involved. So it does depend on the team. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't think we can answer that question yet because we just don't know Ishbia yet. We don't know what his style is going to be. So yeah. he might be right. He might just say, you know what? This is a good team. They've they've done well the last couple of years. I'm just going to let them run the show and go from there. Or he might want to put a stamp on it. I'm, I'm curious to see the same thing. So we'll see what happens. Uh, to just finish off Jay's point earlier, I do hope he gives Chris Paul a five-year extension as a fan of another team in the Pacific, and I will leave that. You, you know, uh, Sammy, you know, not everybody is like Steve Ballmer showing up showing up in his uh, full Clipper gear, courtside, cheering like a maniac, like a like a, like a a fan Best at a Backstreet Boys in concert sports. in 1991. My man, Steve, if you're listening to the pod, love to sit next to you courtside one day. Just going to throw that out there. Uh, uh, Steve, I, I, I got to say, man, Steve, you are, you're, you're, you're a great fan, man. That's, Dude, he's that's awesome. entertaining I, as all heck. Yeah, he's an awesome owner. Uh, staying on the Suns, Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton went at it again. Uh, this time at the end of a loss to the Wizards, which let me repeat that they lost to the Wizards who are not Yo, very good right now dude. exactly and This occurred at the end of the game down seven points 43 seconds left They were just going at it in the team huddle 
and it was just back and forth. We know that over the summer it was very awkward when the Suns came back after that Game 7 disaster against Dallas. Seemed like it had uh, kind of boiled over, like John was saying, they've been playing pretty well this year. Aiden brushed it off. He said, we weren't exchanging words, we're family. He knows how to talk to his boys, and his boys know how know how to just communicate. The world saw it, but it's all love, and we just need to regroup. What do you guys think of this? Pretty much, I'll, I'll lay this out this way. Do we think this team has chemistry issues at this point? Have they gotten past it? Where do you think they stand right now in terms of team chemistry and their expectations and ceiling for this season? I, don't, I honestly don't think the, chem, the chemistry is bad. I think their chemistry is fine. And it's because their, their big three has left played together for the last, what, three or four years now? Three years, yeah. I think Aiton was drafted three years ago, right? So, I mean, like, they have a lot of time to play together. You have a lot of teams. And, and that's really a luxury. It's, it's kind of like, it doesn't happen often in today's NBA, right? You have guys moving from team to team. They sign short-term contracts, trying to prove themselves to get a longer-term deal. They'll leave the team that they've been with a year or two. Or maybe I'm just thinking of the Lakers because they every year they sign one-year guys. Maybe that. Maybe this. Maybe I'm just having some PTSD here, guys. But <laughs> like the top three guys on the Suns, they've been playing together, and you also have their role players who have also been there for a few years now. So I don't think it's a chemistry thing. I think I believe in Aiden when he says, you know, Monty and and him. Despite the the reports and the drama that we that they talked about earlier in the season, and with his contract, getting a, a year less. Um, and then the Suns inexplicably matching it, right? They got a discount because they matched the contract that that he got. And so, yeah, I don't think it's a chemistry thing. I mean, I think they're playing fine together. My biggest concern about the Suns is Chris Paul. His age and his injury history. I mean, he's already missed a handful of games this season. And when Chris Paul's healthy, he can command a team and he can lead a team deep to a playoff run. But that's when we're talking about 2022 going into 2023 now, that doesn't happen very often where Chris Paul is healthy for a consistent and considerable amount of time. And so that would be my biggest concern. And his contract is an albatross. I mean, Sammy, you probably use the trade machine on ESPN and it probably crashes every time you try to trade Chris Paul because the contract is so massive and unreasonable. Um, you could say that. Well, that's my biggest concern. I, I don't know how you guys feel about the Suns, but they're playing well. I mean, what six, <clears throat> six games over five hundred? What do you think? What do you think? It could be a chemistry issue. You know, there are three potential outcomes from this situation. One, it could just you know boil over, nothing happens, just like Spolstra and uh, Jimmy Butler from last year. You could have uh, the Ori and Danny Ainge. Remember that whole spat with the towel? Or, or this could become like a Sprewell and PJ Carlissimo, a solver. Sprewell choked his coach. So what you don't like as a Suns fan is the history where you have this weird game seven where Aiden, you could tell that he was disgruntled. You have reports from even Monty Williams saying that he didn't talk to Aiden all summer. And then now you have this. So right. as a Suns fan, you're just like, well, we need chemistry. 
when everything is good and we're winning, that's you don't. That's when you don't worry. It's when blank hits the fan when chemistry helps your team to help help you go through the trenches. And I don't think anyone's confident that when the Suns will get into trouble, like they're down a game or two in the playoffs, can they get out with all the drama that they're facing? Have they shown resiliency? Is basically what I'm asking, Sammy. Right, and you know what? That's you're actually leading me to my next question. I'll, I'll start it off here. Is what's the ceiling of this team now? Not the team that made the finals two years ago, because we're not there anymore. Can this team win a title as constructed? I don't know if they can. The West is wide open right now, because if you look at the standings, everyone at the top is somewhere between 19 and 11, and roughly, I think. Going down, all the way down to the 10 seed, 16 and 16. There's a four-game separation between 1 and 10. So it could be open, but I look at this team and I just, I don't know what it is. I can't see them getting past the conference finals. So that's where I'm at with them. Do you guys agree with that, or do you think this team can go back to the finals? Uh, They could go back, but I don't think they could win. Okay. John, what do you think? I think with how the West, the, the West, the West is this year, I think they can make the finals. I do. Okay. I think the West is pretty weak. Um, again, we always talk about the Clippers, Sammy, and I. I and, and <laughs> right, band like, is back together, my man. Like, like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Kawhi. We we talk about the Clippers every year, right? And I I get why. I mean, they are a deep, deep team, and they have two stars. Well. Maybe one and a half stars. Sorry, I got to put some slander on PG for that backboard shot. Okay, that that's the only reason. One and a half, one point seven five stars. Okay, their health. Uh, I mean, let let's. It's their health, right? Can they stay healthy? But other than the Clippers, right? The Pelicans are unproven. They're a great team. They're young, but they're unproven. The Grizzlies. They, for some reason, they always get to a certain playoff round, second round, or the Western Conference Finals, and they lose. So, to me, they still haven't proven anything either. The Nuggets, Jamal Murray is still not 100%, I don't think. I don't know I don't know if he'll ever be the same player. I mean, he had a serious, serious knee injury. And so, can, I mean, they have Jokic, but Michael Porter Jr. is always hurt. I mean, I feel like the West is wide open here, right? The Mavericks are not as good as we thought they were going to be. The Blazers are not, or they, they've really settled down after having a hot start. The Kings are playing well, but are you really going to bet on the Kings to make the, the Western Conference Finals? Probably not. So you I think it's wide hater. open. So I think <laughs> the Suns, I'm a huge hater about all these teams. Also because my Lakers are 13 and 18. And it's in the West where it's wide open. I, I, don't, I, I think they can make it, guys. I think the Suns can surprise people. And I think they can make the finals this year. You All are right. a hater. I guess we will see. And with that, we are going to go to a word from a sponsor. <clears throat> the NBA season is hitting up and there are still so many unknowns. When I'm looking to get in on, on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any on any NBA team to win their game and get 
$150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN. Tango, Bravo, Papa, November. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Wow. All right, gentlemen. Part two of the clinic. And I have been waiting for this topic. JJ, you might want to temper your, 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 your emotions here, okay? I just, I just want to preface it with this. So John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, he says he is not worried about any team in the West. None. So he had an interview with Malika Andrews of ESPN. And Malika asked him, quote, what, who do you look at around the league as you're studying and say, hey, we're going to have to go through them. John Morant's response, the Celtics in the East. Malik Andrews, no one in the West. And John Morant said, nah, I'm fine. a hater. The West. And these, this is very interesting to me because what is, who is the first team that comes to your mind when you're, when you're talking about a threat in the West? I, I think we all know, right? Can this go without saying? Sacramento. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> so... Right, right. So it's the Warriors. But obviously the Warriors are having a really rough season this year. Steph Curry got hurt, shoulder injury. They're clearly not the same team as they were last year. They lost a few key role players, and they're just older, and they're not playing defense. Can they turn it around? Sure. But I think he has some validity when it comes to the one team that has been the crux in the Grizzlies' side. My question to you guys is this. Is John Morant valid in his point here with the Warriors having a down year? Do you look at every team in the West and say that there is no threat to Memphis? Because I have my own thoughts, but I want to get your guys' thoughts. Is John Morant valid in his thought? And if not, who are the team or teams that you think are serious threats to the Grizzlies? I'll start with Sammy. <laughs> so many ways to go with this question. I appreciate his confidence, and I get it. He's mm-hmm. a confident dude, and mm-hmm. he, he should be. He's a damn good player. Where is job? I do feel like the Warriors are in the, what, 11th spot right now? It doesn't matter. They're going to get in there at the end, and maybe he wants to project confidence for himself over them. I don't think you can say that about the champs until you dethrone them for one. I think there's a lot of teams that could threaten the Grizzlies. I actually think the Grizzlies will make the conference finals at least, but there's a lot of teams that prevent or present, excuse me, very unique matchup issues for them. Denver's one. A healthy Clippers is another. The Warriors are another. So I feel like he's saying this more for his own confidence as much as anything. Although I find it very interesting that he specifically said the Celtics are a threat and didn't acknowledge anyone else. It's like Giannis is out in the East too. If you're really going to go across conferences and talk about anyone else so i really think he said this to hype himself up as much as anything but i do think there are teams that could threaten him that's that's where i come from on this jay yeah i mean you're definitely right he needs to uh give himself confidence he's the emotional leader on that team so they're gonna follow his lead and he they all need to play with that that swag what i'll say is that uh what you're referencing Giannis maybe got too confident because the Grizzlies just beat them a week ago by 40. But what's funny is that two nights after this interview, 
they got smacked by the the Nuggets by 14 or 15, and they were shorthanded. Okay, with John Morant, it's okay to be confident, but you need to have equity with what you say. And this is what I mean. None of this panel would have an issue with Shaq, Kobe, Jordan saying that no one in the West, no one in the East. Why? Because they proved it. But John Morant, he hasn't even made the Western Conference Finals. So this is what I'll say. Just back it up. And I'll say this too, guys. One thing is to be confident. But let's be real. You know why he said no one in the West. Who was who interviewed him, John? Malik Andrews. Yeah, man. You gotta you gotta show what's up. You know what I mean? <laughs> gotta play that card. <laughs> gotta be confident. Don't hit. Don't hit the game. Don't hit the hate game. The That's what I'll hate say. The, yeah. Don't hit the player. Hate the yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'll say. Well, this took a turn. Uh... <laughs> Well, and I I just don't, like you guys said, I don't know why he brought up the Celtics and not any other team. It was just random to me, right? Like, there there has to be no strategy behind that. Is that right? Am I I thinking of this? I agree. Like overcomplicating it? Was he just, right? he's not really thinking about what he's saying, right? Because usually you would say something strategically to try to get in an opponent's head, but like, he would only face the Celtics if he made it to the finals. Does he really think that the Celtics are a shoo-in and the Grizzlies are a shoo-in? I mean, maybe. But to me, it's just a weird thing to, to, to answer. But I'm going to move us on to our next topic here, guys. Trey Young. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. That's the next topic. This is the other topic. So the Chicago Bulls had a halftime dispute centered around Zach Levine's defense. The Bulls are 13 and 18. They're 11th in the Eastern Conference out of the play-in currently. And they played the Minnesota Timberwolves last Sunday. They lost the game 150 to 126. They they let a team put up 150 points against them. Um, I don't know who's counting out there or who watches NBA basketball, but that's really bad. Really, really bad <laughs> to give a team 150 points. So there were reportedly a lot of blow-ups during halftime, right, with the coach Billy Donovan going to the locker room to have to calm down players. And then he confirmed that there was an incident, but he didn't name any names. But a lot of people are speculating that it's Zach Levine, the leader of the team, who was called out because he is not playing any defense. Now, I find this very interesting because the Bulls collectively are 13 and 18. And I, I don't... A lot of the times we like to blame their best player. We like to put the onus on on that. But I, the Bulls were always, to me, were always a team that like played together. That they had players that did their. They don't. They weren't like top heavy. I mean, they do have DeRozan and they have Levine. And I, I, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on Zach Levine in general, right? Do you think that he is somebody that could lead a team? To an, not even just a finals berth, but in a conference finals berth. Do you think he's that guy? No. No. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be that blunt, but I don't think he's a number one oh on a serious contender. I just don't. I think at best he's a number two, and even that might be in question, in part because. He's had a dispute with playing defense for five, six, seven years now. He just doesn't play defense. And 
that reflects. I mean, I think other players, when they're looking at leaders of a team, I know some guys don't put in as much effort on the defensive end, we'll say, but it seems like it's a very big disparity with him. And I don't think, he doesn't seem to inspire the players around him. And I know not every leader of a team does that, but a lot of them do. Like you see Giannis putting in the work, you see LeBron putting in the work, you see Steph putting in the work and you want to follow it. Like other players seem to like playing with those guys, you know? I don't get the same feeling about Zach Levine. And I don't know if I'm overreading it. What do you guys think? No, you're not overreading it. I think when you see, we, have, we always have to go by history, go off the resume. Zach Levine, unfortunately, hasn't been playing to what his value of the contract is. His last spat with his coach was a few weeks ago when he shot one through one for 15 or one, one of 14. And he got sat out the last five minutes of that game with the worst plus minus on that team. And as a superstar, to kind of show attitude, to sh like people have bad shooting nights, but then you can't just go to the media and just be like all negative attitude about it. You got to lead by example, like what you're saying, Sammy, with with Steph, with LeBron and all these other players. And it's just like, can he be a number one, John? I haven't seen it. You're on the Timberwolves, for goodness sake. You're on you're on this Bulls team that desperately needs play. You're a ball handler who has the option to score at will. And if you're shooting one one of fourteen, for example, on one night, that's that's not good. You're not showcasing good player skills, let alone good leadership skills. Right. So Zach Levine is, yeah, and, and I, I get you guys. So he is, sorry, I'm, I'm pulling up his age right now. So he's 27. He's relatively young. Do you think he's reached his ceiling? Do you think that there, that he can improve on the things that you are criticizing him or, 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 just think he's not capable of at this current point do you think he's potentially capable of that down the line or do you think he has reached his ceiling i think he's reached his ceiling i think this is the player he is and he's not a bad player but he's a bit one-sided mostly an offensive talent as far as i'm concerned yeah i, I don't have much to add and the regular season's one thing, but we haven't even seen a glimpse of him in the playoffs, and that's a whole different beast. That's when you're really tested, and you're already 27 without much playoff experience. That's just a, you know, not really good on his resume. Right. So, would you guys rather have Trey Young or Zach Levine? I feel like I know the answer to this, Ooh. but I'm curious because that's I feel like question. they're kind of like in the same. You guys put him in the same kind of boat category hmm for, and for uh, for reference Trey Young is 24 and Zach Levine is 27 I so would say you get more defense with Levine I don't know if that's not saying much right Sammy but I agree with you and with Trey Young he's younger though the con yeah I I respect Trey Young's talent but I just I don't like his game I just don't I, I would, between the two, I'd go Zach Levine. What would you do, John? That's a tough one. I think I would go Trey. But I, I, I see why you would go Levine. Like, 
Levine doesn't play defense, but he has the tools to actually, if if someone were to mold him into that mentality and get him to play defense, he would be much more effective than Trey Young, right? Because Trey is small, uh, Trey is fast. He can get steals, but he would just be overpowered. Like point guard, bigger point guards could take him in the paint easily, back him down, and so. But I still take Trey. I think he has he has more of that it factor. Um, but that's I'll, me. But it's I'll it's counter close. that, John. I'll counter you. I think Levine has been on bad teams like the Timberwolves, and he goes into a situation like Wiggins did with the Warriors. He could become that def- that two way player like Wiggins has with the Warriors. For sure, he can be. I he can. The environment. He can be right. He's currently not. He's not. Though. Um, That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, and and maybe part of like you said, maybe part of it is because he is expected to be the number one guy and do other things first, which is score, facilitate. Um, but defense is a huge part of it, and and I think when Wiggins was relieved of those duties right of being the number one guy on the team where he could focus on the defense he excelled because he has those physical attributes to do it in a, in a way that like can be defensively elite um but yeah i think that leads us into our next topic about zach levine and trey young and i'm going to loop in demar Derozan here because there are trade rumors around trey young and demar Derozan, and i'm going to throw zach levine in there because honestly I think he's probably on the trade block too, even though we're not hearing about it. Mm-hmm. So rival executives in attendance at the at the NBA's annual G League Winter Showcase, they believe that Trey Young could be the next player on a rookie max extension to request a trade if the Hawks do not make real progress come postseason time. Young again, like we said, Trey Young is 24 years old and he's competitive. He's shown a strong desire with an attitude, with smack talk to win this league. I mean, he can be a face of a franchise, not just from like a basketball standpoint, but from a money generating um, promotion standpoint, right? He kind of has that it factor. Like he has weaknesses, but he has that. Do you guys think that these trade rumors are serious? Do you think they're just kind of rumors? Do you think the Hawks would really consider trading him at this point? Or do you think they would still try to build a better team around him? I know they got DeJounte Murray, but what do you, I wanted to get your thoughts on Trey Young first. Wow. Hmm. Would the Hawks trade Trey Young? When I think about the Hawks history, who have they actually brought in from free agency that's legit? I mean, when you look like their whole history of their best players, you have you have Dominique, right? Mm-hmm. You have uh, Matumbo and Joe Johnson. If we're talking about kind of the modern era, and don't, killer, don't, don't give me killer Josh, Josh Smith. Smith. <laughs> don't call me, uh, don't say, give me Josh Smith. John I was going to say, I was going to say, Clipper Killer Josh Smith, dude. <laughs> Oh, you let's have not to put go him there. Let's not you have go to, there. You have to put him on the etch, the echelon of tier top tier players. If he killed the Clippers in the playoffs, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. I didn't hear that, and I'm gonna throw <laughs> Paul Millsap out there for you. Yeah, I mean, my my point is like, probably any other team would try to trade uh, Trey Young, but the Hawks, they don't really have much assets to get in return because. Even though it's Atlanta, I don't see that organization gaining anything of equal value 
to be honest. And Dejounte Murray did go there, but I just think that they're stuck with Trey Young and Trey Young requesting a trade. It's just like Trey Young, you're stating to the public that you care about winning, but wasn't it last year when you just said you didn't care about the regular season? When the regular season counts, wasn't it in the playoffs last year where you averaged nine points? Like, you need to play better before you could demand these things. And I know this is kind of blunt, but am I not wrong for saying that? Like, you need to, like, here's the magic word of today, equity. You haven't built equity to do, to demand anything, to be quite frank. I agree with you there, and I, I don't think Atlanta would trade him unless he requested it. I will say that. And if he did request it, he'd get a market. The interesting thing to me is they just signed a guy, but... If he asked out, doesn't he seem like he would make a ton of sense in New York? And I know they just signed Brunson, so it doesn't add up. But doesn't it feel like he should be playing at MSG in a sense? Uh, they won't do it unless unless he asks for it. But I know they brought in Maria to keep him happy. Collins has been on the block for three years, so we'll see where this ends up going. But much like Zach Levine, I don't think he's number one. So I think that's going to be as much the cause of these problems as anything else. So I think that team's peak is a second round team now. And I know they made the conference finals a couple years ago. I'll freely say I thought that was a fluke. I don't think they get out of the second round. Sammy, I'm surprised that you said New York because uh, I know on the herd this morning, they uh, mentioned the Clippers, John. There is no way I could see him ending up there just with the way that team plays. Like, and I, I'm, and also all kidding aside, like, look at the players on that team on the Clippers. I mean, like, there's no loud personalities on that. No, squad. yeah, their there, style. There's not it. It is. I, I don't think Tyloo. I think Tyloo would put him in check, though. I, I maybe he put him in check, or maybe he would say, "Why did you give me this guy?" One or the other. That's those are the two outcomes. I just, I can't see it, and I don't think we have the pieces to get him anyway. We still don't have draft capital. And I know I'm saying we as a Clippers fan, it is what it is. But I just don't think they have the draft capital to get him because if Atlanta's going to trade him, they got to recoup some of the capital from the Murray trade. I would think. True. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think this is all smoke at this point. I mean, you, they just traded for DeJounte Murray, and they're not going to at least give it a year to see how that plays plays out. I mean, I know they're not like first or second seed in the East, but there's still plenty of basketball to play right so i think that is all smoke now i do want to talk about demar derozan because the bulls again are struggling they're 13 and 18 of demar derozan and zach levine both on the bulls who do you think is more likely to be traded come february and the trade deadline levine i'm gonna go derozan interesting DeRozan and Levine. Okay. Um, you know what? Wow. I think Levine's going to be able to get more value. You're going to get more value from Levine. So I'm going to go with JJ here. I, I think that DeRozan being 33, like if the Bulls are really on a rebuild, they're just going to let, you know, what better way to tank than to have a 33-year-old DeMar DeRozan? I mean, DeRozan's still playing well, but I think if you have Levine on your team, he's still going to be able to win you games. So... I'm going to say Levine, too. I think Levine is going to be, be traded. But you know what, guys? That is actually all the time that we have for this episode. I want to thank you both for being on. JJ, thanks for being on, man. 
Thank you, uh, my two hosts over here and RJ, our video producer. Shout out to our other host, June, or for those that know him as Ro. I love you guys yes. all and uh, happy early Christmas. Yes, and happy holidays, sir. Thank you, man. And uh, shout out to Ro. Sammy, thank you so much for being on. Thanks, as always. Happy holidays to all. Enjoy a warm, cozy weekend by a Christmas or holiday television watching the NFL on Saturday and the NBA on Sunday, you know, with family and such, but sports and family. What else could you ask for in life? Okay. Absolutely. And I want to shout out to RJ, our video producer. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All NBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All NBA. Good night, everybody. You are a hater. <laughs>